Welcome to the very first episode of the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. My name is Joshua Nolet. This podcast is going to be about professionals and the lessons they've learned through their years in business and through leading teams and anything that they're involved in. It's just going to be gleaning the wisdom from these professionals. Today, we have George Speak, the Executive Vice President of the Orlando Sanford International Airport. This was actually filmed well over a year ago, but the idea for this podcast has actually been in the works for even longer than that. So let's get into it. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. George, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate you just taking time out of your day to do this. Um, So George and I have actually worked around each other for a number of years um, because I worked for the airport for... Uh, almost five years. Yep. So I knew George uh, almost from the beginning of my employment. I met George. And um, so we've done a lot together just here and there hit and miss. And um, I've been able to be in meetings with him and see the way he leads. And so that's why we're doing this because I know George from that. And I've seen his leadership in this series all about um, leadership and working hard and seeing the things that you can do by working hard. Because I believe that's the only way to be promoted and to do well in America is by working hard, really anywhere. Yep. Um, so, George, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and give us an introduction for what you do here at the airport, and then we'll get into it. Sure. Uh, George Speak, I'm the Executive Vice President of the Orlando Sanford International Airport. Been here for about 14 years. This time, I've worked here twice. So, total right. time at the airport is almost 17 years. And um, I've loved every minute of it. It's a great airport. It's got a lot of things to offer the aviation community, as well as the community in general. For sure. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best airport in the country. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So I know that for me, when I was in high school and I started looking at employment at the airport, I graduated and came here to work. I had no idea all of the different facets that an airport has in it and the different roles that people take on. So you can explain a little bit what does the executive vice president of an airport do? Sure. So I wish that was like set in stone and I yeah. could say, well, you do this, this and this. Right. But just uh, to preface this right before this, we had situations where George has been in and out of this office over and over again. So yeah. an airport is completely dynamic and always yeah. changing. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. So. so we just had a fire alarm today and we had uh, a couple of domestic disturbances that involved the police department having to be called. So you, you really never do know. You never really do know what's going to happen at an airport. Um, you know, you hope that it's a nice, calm day. Passengers right. get on the planes 
uh, they depart and go home just like they want, but right. you have to be prepared for almost anything. Essentially, an airport is like a city mm-hmm. um, but without a, a permanent population, unless you call the employees the right. permanent population. But, you know, they're not even here every day, same day. Right, right. And so, um, you know, everything that a city has to provide, fire, police, uh, maintenance, uh, you know, to streets and plumbing and electrical, all those things uh, come along with it, an airport. And, and then it has to be at a high level. Um, right. Because we're dealing with with equipment that has to have uh, precise things happen at specific times right. to ensure the safety and and security of the traveling public. It's it's a right. big uh, puzzle of of different groups of people coming together to achieve the same thing, and everything has to. Ha- it's kind of like an orchestra, right? You know? Yeah. So yeah, that's a good analogy. Um, but what does the executive vice president do? Well, for me directly at this airport, I have police, fire, uh, security, operations, maintenance. Uh, noise committee, and, and then there's other things that are um, uh, kind of one-offs, the air show, uh, aviation right. day, where we where we educate kids about uh, aviation. So, but but in reality, it's whatever comes along. Like right. today, I've been working on a lot of environmental stuff, okay. um, get, going through emails. I mean, you know, just it, it's amazing how much environmental stuff right. uh, comes into play at an airport. Airports are basically, in my opinion, and I think most people in the industry will agree, the most regulated place uh, in, in the country. There's so many uh, of the government alphabet soups that touch an airport. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Absolutely. So one thing I want to untouch on. So you said it's a city an airport is a city and it's very mm-hmm. dynamic. So I worked in operations for this and I saw a bunch of different facets of what I did. So I worked for the company that managed the terminal. Um, and then George works for the airport authority. So we answered my company answered to George and the airport authority. Um, so I saw a lot of different facets as far as the terminal goes. Um, but can you explain a little bit as far as operations goes? Because all I did was I managed right security lines, cleanliness of the airport, um, making sure passengers have a safe and enjoyable experience within the terminal, right? As soon as they get on the plane, they are the airline's tenant, right? They're, right. they're with the airline, but we're dealing with them in the terminal. George deals with overseeing us and then everything else. Can you explain what that everything else is? Sure. So, you know, what you're describing, generally an airport has a landside ops and an airside operations. Right. <clears throat> so you were, you were landside operations. Right. Uh, under a contract by us. And then I have another group of guys that take care of airside operations and also intermingle some with the terminal side yep. of things. We're responsible for the streets and the curb and right. dealing with things there. So you, you guys, and o- OSI, give assistance to us as exactly. Well. And, and it's a team. I mean, right. you know, yep. it takes all of us working together, but uh, you know, you, you guys kind of took care of the in-between, right? So right. we deal with them coming to the curb, they come through the terminal, right. they get on the plane and we're making sure everything's safe uh, out on the field. So, there's so much that goes into an airport. Um, there's perimeter security. There's making sure the runways are safe. Uh, there's making sure that the terminal is secure and compliance with TSA and what have you. You know, on the airfield, it's FAA that's involved. Uh, if we've got an international flight coming and going, then, then it's customs and, and border patrol that are involved there. Um, you know, when I say we're regulated by almost every entity within the government. Uh, one day I was in my office and I got a phone call that there was a, an inspector out front at the uh, desk wanted to talk to me from the Food and Drug Administration. I'm like, well, what in the world <laughs> could the Food and Drug Administration want with an airport? Right. Well, it turns out the potable water that goes on the airplanes is, of course, makes sense now that I know it, right. regulated by uh, the FDA. Right. And so, um, you know, it Everybody just takes... Everybody has their hands in it. Everyone has their hands in it. And it just, you know, it takes all of that to make sure that, that things are good. You know, the fire department has to comply with uh, 
uh, state and, and federal requirements to ensure that we're prepared to respond to uh, an, an incident with an aircraft. Right. Uh, we, we interact with the uh, municipal fire departments because they provide our uh, med medical support. And, right. and if we were to have a structural fire, they would respond to that. Uh, our police department is, is, well, I won't say they're self-sufficient. They, they're able to accomplish everything that needs to be done barring you know, God forbid we have a hijacking or uh, uh, an active shooter or something like that, right. then we, we rely upon our mutual aid to come in and, right. and back us up there. Maintenance department, you know, 2,500-acre uh, airport, uh, got grass to mow. We have, right. gosh, I think it's probably 130 or so buildings that we maintain. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that generates a lot of revenue for the airport, all those outside buildings um, yeah. and, and which I actually grew up in one of the yes, outside buildings. So yes. my family moved to the, uh, the Sanford area in 1999. Mm -hmm. And then about five years later, we came to, a, to live at the airport and my parents lived there every day and every year until last month. Yeah. So we were there 18 years sure. at the airport. Long so. time tenant. Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's important for this airport, you know, each airport is different, but for this airport, we're able to keep our costs down, uh, to the airlines right. by having those outside, um, or non-aviation revenue streams is what we call them. So the commerce park, the residential houses, <clears throat> um, we even have uh, grazing leases. So, you know, we've got property that oh, wow. we have that. cattle on so that we don't have to mow it. You okay. know, it's not that there's a big income stream there, but we don't have to mow it. So right. that's a savings. But uh, over half of this airport's uh, revenue each year is from non-aeronautical revenue. And so then therefore we're able to go to the airlines and keep those costs down. And the benefit is for our community, because we have lower costs, we can attract uh, airlines like Allegiant, right. who then serve, you know, 75 destinations all over the right. country. All over the country. And, yeah. and then, of course, right now with COVID, um, uh, things aren't where we would like to see them. But we are also able to attract uh, international traffic, uh, which right. which is a big boost to the economy. We've got all these people coming into the parks and, you know, to see the uh, the nature here in Florida. And they spend money while they're here. And that yeah. helps our economy. So. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And we'll touch on COVID a little bit later. Sure. Um, first, George, I want to talk about, so the airport is extremely dynamic. And sometimes when things were frustrating, I used to say to myself, like, I don't know why in the world anybody gets into this business. Yep. And the reason why I would say this, because there's that saying that you have to be a jack of all trades and master of none. Sure. But when you work in an airport, you have to be a master of all trades, yeah. right? And you can't really be semi-decent at one. Well, if anyone ever tells you in our career field, airport management, that they're a master of all trades, <laughs> I would I would run far away from them. Because no one's a master. But you kind of got to... Um, be able to move on the fly, you know, right. I mean, you never know what's coming. And so, <clears throat> you know, I, I come into work and I think this is what I'm going to be doing that day. And mm -hmm. then things change, you know, the day dictates what, what has right. to happen. Right. Um, but there is, you know, there is a lot that happens at an airport. Right. So, you know, I, I would never say I'm an electrician. I would never say I'm a carpenter. Uh, I've dabbled in plumbing, but just enough to be dangerous. But all those <laughs> things happen in our maintenance department. Right. And so having a basic understanding of what those guys are doing right. is important. Now, I could never go down there and say, hey, you need to put that wire here and you need to do this. Right. And I never would, would try. But uh, but I can sit down in a, in, a, in a meeting and have a conversation with them and follow the conversation. Right. Um, and I ask a lot of questions. Right. Most, if you... If you talk to the engineers that have been involved with this airport or or other people who've been here a long time, I ask questions a lot because right. you never stop you learning. Right. And uh, you know, that way, you know, if I'm if I'm asking a question about pavement, <clears throat> then it, sometimes people think I'm trying to get into what their job is or tell them how to do it, but it's not that. It's just 
my understanding so that three years down the road, when that person who can give me the answer isn't there, right. then I can help provide some direction. Right, exactly. Um, something I really want to emphasize in this um, series is the concept that we're not going to know all the answers, right? right? And I, I'm speaking from a very low level. I haven't led a lot of people in my day, but something that became abundantly clear when I did get promoted to a leadership position here at the airport was that I will never, well, not never, but I will almost never have the perfect idea every single time. Sure. And oftentimes the greatest ideas come from those around you, mm. like collaborating with you and coming up with the greatest idea. And so something you touched on is you need to know enough to have a working knowledge, but you need to rely on the people that are around you or beneath yeah. you that you yeah. are leading to get that job done, right? Yeah. And then Steve Jobs is often compared to an orchestra leader, right? He's not a computer engineer. Mm -hmm. He just put the right people in the right place to get yep. the best job done. Um, but something I wanna, I wanna talk about is why in the world you got into this industry. I love the airport industry. I think it's great. I think sure. the dynamic nature of airports brings in such a potential for business, not just in aviation, but as you're saying, other properties that are um, non-aeronautical revenue is what you called it, mm -hmm. um, but also things like restaurants, stores. I mean, the, the potential is massive. Transportation, sure. parking, all those kinds of things. So how in the world did you get into this industry? Well, so I've always had an interest in aviation. Mm -hmm. uh, and and most people uh, that you find in aviation that, that are, well, I would say most people in aviation will say that. You know, there's something that happened early on in life and they'll say, well, you know, I went out to the airport or I got to fly on a plane or I live near the airport or whatever right. it was that, that that drove someone's interest. So uh, my grandfather on, uh, on my mom's side uh, was a pilot. He flew uh, with the Navy. Um, he didn't fly in combat. He had a stomach condition that, uh, that that prevented him from doing that, that ultimately we found out was cancer later down the road. And, oh, wow. and so, right. you know, way later down the road, but still. Um, but he took me up on my first airplane ride. Um, he had tons of model airplanes. He, he restored some antique planes, had his own hot air balloon, his own glider. Wow. I mean, this was a man who really, really was in aviation. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I had that interest in aviation. Well, <clears throat> I wear contacts, mm -hmm. uh, glasses then. And, um, you know, the story that people still hear now and it's, and it's erroneous as well. You wear glasses, you can't fly. Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I mean, what, what 10 year old kid exactly. doesn't want to be yeah. right. You know, that, that's all there is. You got to be a fighter pilot. And so I kept hearing, well, you can't fly, you wear glasses. And so, uh, my interest in, in aviation was just kind of, I like airplanes. Uh, I used to draw them, whatever, but that mm -hmm. was it. Right. And when I was uh, flying places commercially, Right. One of the things that fascinated me the most was what was happening outside the window on the ground. I really wanted to know why the lights were the colors they were. I want to know what these markings were. I want to know why that person's pulling up the plane and doing what they're doing. Yeah. And and but it wasn't an interest that I had someone saying, "Well, here's what it is and here's what you could do," because you're interested in that. So, um, you know, I I graduated from high school, went off to college uh, for. Uh, computer mapping of all things, because I, I do have an interest in maps. Okay. <clears throat> and um, and and really wasn't interested in college. And so I, I wound up quitting and um, moved to Alaska. Well, let me back up, I skipped the step. Um, after just kind of bumming around, because there's really no other way to describe it for like three years, mm -hmm. I joined the Air Force. Okay. Enlisted in the Air Force, spent four years in the Air Force, loved my time. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> as luck would have it, uh, the Air Force gives you, when I was in basic training, a sheet, and you pick the top 10 jobs that you want to do. Uh, oh, wow. I wanted to be a crew chief okay. working on planes. Right. There were nine crew chief positions, and so I 
picked all of them. I got this tenth. <laughs> I got this tenth position that I've got to pick, right? Right. And it was something called air transportation specialist. And I read the description. I'm like, eh, whatever. But yeah. you know, it's my tenth. I'm not going to worry about it. Right. So I wrote that down. Well, lo and behold, you got the tenth. <laughs> I got the tenth position. I got air transportation specialist. And what basically to sum that that position up is the Air Force has an airline within the Air Force. Okay. And so um, air transportation specialists are the ones that, that run that airline. Okay. We, we load the planes, unload the planes, cargo, load plan the cargo, uh, clean them. Right. Um, you know, uh, offload the baggage and process passengers. We actually had screening areas for, uh, you had a magnetometer and an x-ray for the baggage wow, okay. and all. So yeah. it really was like, you know, an airline. And... Um, all I tried to do while I was in the Air Force was get out of the base I was in that was mm -hmm. running this little airline kind of thing, right? And go to what was called a mobile aerial port, which is where you get to travel the world and go into places where people are shooting at you and all that kind of stuff. And it never worked out for me, thankfully. Yeah. Happy I did what I did. Um, so I got out of the Air Force, and um, that was my dabble in plumbing. I worked for Roto-Rooter for about six months. Oh, okay. Quickly realized that I wanted to get back to aviation. <laughs> And uh, long story short, wound up taking a job on a contract in Alaska on a place called Shimia, out in the middle okay. of the, out the end of the Aleutian Islands. Basically, did the same thing I had done in the Air Force, but I was as a contractor, so gotcha. making better money <laughs> and um, entered the private world, you know. Right. And so um, wound up hearing about another contract on another island in the Aleutians called ADAC Naval Air Station. And the Naval Air Station was closing, transitioning from a base to a city. Okay. And so um, I called them up <clears throat> and told them I was interested in a job there and I wanted to work the line, basically parking planes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the person that I was talking to on the other end of this phone said, well, I'm not looking for that. Uh, he said, okay. those positions are filled. He said, we're hiring an airport manager. And I said, well, I'm not an airport manager. And, um, and he didn't hang the phone up. Okay. And I said, uh, well... And, and he said, well, we're hiring an airport manager. And I said, we, we went back two or three times about, I'm hiring an airport manager. And I said, well, that's not what I am. And then I changed my answer. And I said, well, are you telling me that if I tell you that I'll take the position, you'll hire me? And he said, yes. And as it turned out, they needed a warm body. Uh, the, the contract was just starting. They had weeks to go until they, had to, they were going to be able to tell the Navy, yes, we've got every position filled. So I had wow. all of a sudden gotten myself into a job that I didn't know anything about. Right. I had an inkling. But sure, you know, which is a, a big role. Airport uh, manager is it, a huge role. It, it was it was a big role, um, and so I had about a one week turnover with a with a Navy captain. I'm sorry, he wouldn't have been a captain. He was an O3. I'm not up on my Navy ranks, but um, he uh, he really didn't want to talk to me because he was upset the base was closing. So right. I really didn't even have much turnover. So what I did was um, I wound up calling the FAA in Anchorage. And said, okay, here's the deal. I've got this job out here, and uh, we're going to be turning this airfield over to a civilian field. What do I need to do? Right. And the person I was talking to was an airport inspector, and he started sending me out things called advisory circulars. Okay. So there is a there is a, a document that guides airports called Part 139. Right. And then there's all these advisory circulars that are kind of supplementals mm -hmm. to the to the guiding document. Okay. And I just started reading. So every night I would I would go back to my house there on the island and uh, and I would read I would read about airport design I'd read about airport lighting I'd read about uh, snow removal because we had snow removal up yeah. there um, and uh, started educating myself on on kind of what I should be doing um, the FAA would come out and do inspections because again we were transitioning this field I also had the Navy uh, regulations that I could look out mm -hmm. I started figuring this thing out and um, as time went on my boss got promoted. He was over logistics and supply, 
environmental, the fuel farm, some other things. Uh, and when he got promoted, I moved into his position, taking over logistics, uh, you know, logistics and environmental. <clears throat> and then ultimately he got promoted again and I got promoted to uh, site manager of my company's contract on the island and had 144 employees. I had added uh, fueling the fuel farm, 20 million gallon fuel farm, the harbor. Uh, so dealing with ships and stuff coming in. Um, roads and grounds. So keeping all the roads and grounds clear, uh, snow removal, vehicle maintenance on the island. It was a lot of things. Right. And it was like this huge eye-opening experience. Um, I was young. I was 26 when I went to Shimia, 27 when I went to ADAC. I left when I was 30. Um, but it taught me so much. I bet. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I couldn't possibly be doing what I'm doing now. And that's why I went into so much detail on, on what happened there without having had that time in ADAC. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. One of the things that I, that I do, and I, I would hope other people do this as well, um, is you look back on your career mm -hmm. and I wish I could go back to then, because I know so much more now, and I know I could have done so right. many things that much better in that role. In that role, right? Um, but it, but it taught me a lot for now. So when I got to um, uh, the, the the contract was winding down, right. and so there was going to be no job there, and and so I uh, started talking to the FAA and Anchorage. I said, you know, I kind of like doing this this airport thing, this right. airport management. So you know, if I'm interested in continuing to do that, what what should I do? And uh, they said, Well, have you finished college? Oh no, yeah, that little Just thing. Always the <laughs> yeah. question in aviation yeah. when you get up to the so high level. I had I had a yeah. year in college, you know, out of right. high school, <clears throat> and I said no, I haven't. And they said, uh, well, you should. <laughs> and they said you yeah. also need to join a group called the American Association of Airport Executives, which right. I did. I did that was easy, you know, it was like two hundred bucks. That was the easy one. Sure. And then um, uh, they said get your real estate license. Haven't got my real estate license yet. Um, they say get your real estate. Yes, because you deal with so many properties. So I've never gotten the real estate license and, I, and I've learned, you know, a lot of that stuff trial by fire as well. 
and, and still have this idea in the back of my head that maybe one day I'll get my real estate license. Right. Um, but, you know, I said to him, I said, okay, well, college, where should I go? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, there's two places. And they said two places, and I took them at their word. I never right. did any other investigation. Right. And they said, well, there's this place called University of North Dakota in Minot, North Dakota. Or there's Amber Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. I was married Frozen at this point. Or yeah. the beach. Yeah, I was married at this point. And, uh, you know, my wife, whose dad happened to live in Florida, said, we're going okay. to Daytona yeah. Beach. And I really didn't argue much because Minot, North Dakota didn't sound appealing after three years in Alaska. (laughs) And Minot is worse than than Alaska. Is it really? The joke joke, uh, in the Air Force actually was, why not Minot? It was a horrible (laughs) station. So so we came here to uh, uh, Daytona Beach at Ember-Riddle. And um, I enrolled in school and I started looking for a job. And um, uh, the airport here, there was a company called Dynair at the time, um, which was doing the ground handling and what have you. Mm-hmm. And knowing that they would provide me with a flexible schedule, I started working there. So I went from you know 144 employees to throwing bags. It was good with me. Yeah. Um, you know, I got to throw bags, got to park planes, no stress. Uh, you know, load cargo and haul cargo coming off planes, and, right. and it was great. Um, and uh, then after I'd been here about four months, ran into somebody on the ramp who told me about operations, airside operations, right. and they were hiring. So I applied and I worked both jobs for a couple of months and uh, both part-time and then uh, and then went to just full-time in the operations position, which was good. I was able to work nights, uh, which meant I worked here from 11 to 6. Right. And then I would leave here and uh, if I had time, I would go home, take a shower and then go to class. I did all my classes in the morning um, to get them out of the way. And if I didn't have time, then I just went straight to class. And then I would sleep in the afternoon and then uh, do classes. Um, when I enrolled in school, it was 2000, January of 2000. So the okay. job market was fantastic for aviation. Yeah. There was page after page after page on the American Association of Airport Executives Nothing website. Nothing but prospects. Nothing but prospects. 9-11 occurs. Right. Uh, 2001. And you know, jobs just shrunk to nothing. Nothing, yeah. And uh, they stayed that way for a long time. I graduated in the spring of 03. Mm-hmm. And I go to the AAAE uh, website and there's like three jobs posted wow. and uh that was like oof okay well thankfully i had a job because i was still working here in operations so right. you know there was a bit of pressure on me but not as much as maybe there had been on someone else sure and uh again long story short wound up talking to my dad who lived in north carolina and he told me about a position at an airport called dare county regional airport which was a a, um, a general aviation airport in the outer banks six miles okay. away from the wright brothers memorial um wow. uh December 17th, 2003 was the 100th anniversary of flight. I had told my dad that I was going to be coming up to visit him for the 100th anniversary of flight. Right. And as it turned out, in reality, I was there because I was working at the airport that was kind of ground zero for everything because we were six miles away from the Wright Rose Memorial. Right. So uh, that was a fantastic, uh, I guess you could say I had the capstone in the middle of my career. um, Because we had all the warbirds for the 100th anniversary of flight. Wow. We had people like Buzz Aldrin and... Chuck Yeager and the FAA administrator and all, you know, I mean, just all these kind of famous people coming right. through the airport. And, and I got to meet all these people, Paul Tibbetts and, you know, I mean, all the, not all, but a lot of the World War II uh, big names were, were there because wow. thankfully, you know, a lot of those folks were still alive at that point. Tuskegee Airmen were there. I mean, it was wow. just a fantastic uh, event and it was the 100th anniversary of flight. Right. And, um, you know, that was great. I was there for two years and I really had a desire to get back to commercial aviation. And so I started job hunting 
<clears throat> and found a little airport out in uh, Garden City, Kansas. Still was a commercial service airport. Uh, had a what's called a contract tower, so not an FAA tower, but okay. we paid uh, the, the tower folks to be there. And it had something called essential air service. So it was um, subsidized air service through the FAA. And uh, that was a, a great experience. Um, they were below 10,000 passengers, which is a big deal for uh, money. If you're below 10,000 passengers, you get $150,000 in grant money every year. If you're over 10,000 wow. passengers, you get a million dollars in grant money. And so my my task when I was there was to get them back over 10,000, and which I was able to do. Okay. Um, it, it used to be when you would go to the employment data from the FAA every year, you could go straight to the bottom. And for commercial service airports, for what was called primary airports, there was Garden City. On the very and bottom. So all you had to do is just go to the bottom, <laughs> there they were. Uh, I'm happy to say that the young lady that took over my role when I left uh, was working there when I got there. Um, she has carried on with that airport, and now you can't go to the bottom. You got to go quite a ways up. Wow. They're, they're around, uh, well, pre COVID, I think they were around 28,000 to 30,000 passengers a year. Wow. So that's uh, great. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I had intended to stay at that airport for about five years, as it was about two years into my time there the president of uh, the Orlando Sanford International Airport, who I kept in touch with, uh, kept in touch with to the extent that let him know where I was and what I was doing okay. um, as I progressed in my career, uh, that I wanted to come back here. I, I made sure he knew that. And he right. called me up when there was an opening in management and said, hey, are you interested? And I said, absolutely. When do you want me there? Right. And uh, so that was in um, 2006. And I came back January 2nd of 2007. And I've been here wow. for 14 years. I came back as the vice president <clears throat> of operations and maintenance. And then uh, when, when that person, Larry Dale, retired, uh, Diane Cruz, who was uh, a vice president here at the time, was promoted to uh, president and she promoted me to executive vice president and COO. And, wow. and that's yeah. where I am. Right. So, and that's where you are today. And, and so, you know, um, I didn't necessarily set about to choose this career field. Mm -hmm. I would almost say it kind of chose me. <clears throat> right. Uh, the way things kind of played out, um, it all worked. And I'm, and I'm incredibly happy. I love coming to work every right. day. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's pretty common with um, my grandfather tells a story. So my grandfather was a, a captain in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And he tells stories about when he was a little boy, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah. He wanted to be a pilot in the Navy. And that's yeah. what he knew he wanted to do. And he achieved it. That's great. Um, and he flew in Vietnam and uh, had an amazing career in the Navy. And some people have that, you know, that yeah. direction, like, I know what I want to do. And yep. when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And then I got older and realized that um, I'm not a huge fan of school. And you have to be in school <laughs> yes. for a very, very long time to be a physical therapist. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I realized that was not my path. Um, but I love people and mm -hmm. I love being around people and leading people. And and uh, in my interactions with you, I've noticed that that's, that's pretty common with you as well, that you just enjoy being around people and leading people towards a common goal. Um my dad is the same way. My dad has had a great career in the pool industry, but it kind of chose him as well, just sure. through time and through life. And he just enjoys being around people moving towards a common goal. Yep. Um, and so I want to ask you, because I've been in positions where, you know, I got promoted and I fought for it. I wanted that promotion. And when I got there, I was met with kind of this realization of, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how to lead these people. I don't know how to motivate these people. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so I want to ask you, when you moved into that airport manager role, you read on your own time, like off, off company time, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Just to make yourself a better employee and how you would be able to lead in that role better. But when you were met with that, I don't know if you were even met with this, this kind of um, 
I'm inadequate or I don't know how I'm going to do it. But when you got met with situations like that, how did you overcome that? How did you deal with that? So in all fairness, the reading that I was doing, it was off company time. But when you're on a remote island, six hours away from anything that resembles uh, uh, civilization, there's not a whole lot else to do. So not not everybody would be be in that situation. Um, You know, I think for me, uh, managing people is that they are people just like me. Right. So, you know, everyone has their role in an organization. Everyone wants to feel that they're valued. Um, you know, uh, I, I try, I'm not going to say I always succeed, but you know, I try to just talk to people like I expect to be talked to, you know, treat people, uh, the way that you would expect to be treated. Um, you know, you're always going to find people, you're always going to find employees that are, they're a little more difficult than others. Sure. Sometimes you can't have that motto treat people like you want to be treated sometimes you have to be the boss right um i I prefer not to 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 be the boss you know right Um, but sometimes it it takes that um i I don't know i just um i don't know that it's something that i've learned i know there's lots of books out there that talk about how to manage i hope i think i do a good job but uh for the most part i just do what feels right right you know yeah i think that's a big part of of management and leadership is just I think keeping a level head, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Keeping it, you're not better than the people you're leading. Right. You know what I mean? We're just all moving towards a common goal and I'm the guy getting you there so that we can do it. And exactly. That's it. You just have another role. Um, <clears throat> I mean, for the most part, people go to work because they want to work. Right. You know, most people aren't going to work and saying, geez, Howard. <clears throat> I mean, you may not want to be there every day, but, but you know, you, you, you have a desire It's like I've always said, even if I were to win the lottery or Mm -hmm. whatever, I would still find something to do. I I couldn't sit around and do nothing. You're going to find something um, to to keep yourself occupied. For me, what I get to do is entertainment. It really is. I mean, I love my job. So, you know, I I enjoy it. And uh, I hope and expect that other people and and I want to provide an environment where they can enjoy their jobs. So I think if you do that, then it makes that that working towards that common goal a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. So George, I just want to leave you with one question. I want you to give me the best advice you ever received in your whole career and the worst advice you ever received. Sure. So not all of it comes from my career. I'm going to go to two on the worst advice. Uh, One was my first year in college, that first attempt at college. I met a guy and uh, we we were, he was rushing. I was kind of like considering it, but not really. And, And he said, you know, you got to make sure you're always dressed well. It doesn't matter how you feel, you know, comfort's not important. You just got to look good. And I thought, no way I got to be comfortable. So be comfortable. Okay. Try to look good, but be comfortable, you know, but, but it's, you know, if you're uncomfortable, it's going to show. Yeah. Um, And then the second wasn't really necessarily a piece of advice, but I'll turn it into a piece of advice. Okay. I I had someone when I was applying for that job at ADAC that that, Mm -hmm. that wound up, um, you know, with the, the airport management, uh, my boss at Shimmy at the time said to me, he said, you're never going to succeed. You won't make it in that job. Mm. And, uh, and I, I, I ignored him. And so I guess the advice is don't ever let someone tell you, you can't do something right. Uh, the moment you start thinking you can't, you can't. That is actually where the camera cut out. So we were not able to capture everything that George said. But I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. If you did, please leave us a rating wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast. Until next time. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.